Today is February 1st. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and today is also the first day of Black History Month. This is the month that we've set aside here in the United States to celebrate the contributions of Black people to the building, sustaining, creativity, innovation, and development of our society. Black history is America's history, and Black people are a part of biblical history. I think it's important to point this out for a few reasons. One, we know that historically speaking, the Bible was used as a weapon of oppression to control and dominate Black people. Understanding Black people's presence in biblical history in a positive light serves to counteract and peel back that abuse of power. The Bible is our foundational text as Christ followers. It is a big part of our identity. How empowering and validating it is then to be able to trace our presence back to images, stories, and people who played pivotal roles in the biblical narrative. Which leads to my second point. When our presence is omitted, Black people often miss their connection to biblical history and to the story of God. When we look at the scriptures, we can see that there are stories of liberation, redemption, joy, and justice for Black people that are often ignored or overshadowed by misinterpretations or slanted interpretations of certain passages. For example, there's Hagar, who was an Egyptian of African descent, Zipporah, Moses' wife, who was of Cushite or Ethiopian descent, she saved Moses' life, Tamar, who we learned about a few weeks back, she is a link in the ancestral chain of Jesus. She was a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites are descendants of Canaan, whose father was Ham. Ham, you remember, was one of the sons of Noah. Now, Egypt is referred to as the land of Ham in multiple scriptures in the Bible. We'll also get to Rahab, the queen of Sheba, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, not to mention Ebed-Melech. Everybody else I just mentioned were all women, but there's Ebed-Melech, a Cushite man who saves the prophet Jeremiah from death. The king had thrown Jeremiah into a mud-filled cistern to die, but Ebed-Melech gathered 30 men to help lift him out after he told the king that it wasn't right what they did to Jeremiah. The Bible says God was so pleased with his actions that he told Ebed-Melech through Jeremiah that when the city fell, his life would be saved. The Ethiopian eunuch also has a famous story in the book of Acts, and Simon of Cyrene, who was from Africa, literally carried the cross of Christ. Y'all, there are so many Black people in the Bible, and you can see why. If you are an oppressor or a perpetrator of the notion of Black inferiority, why you would be motivated to deny or dilute the inclusion or influence of Black people in Scripture. But the stories of Black people in the Bible should be told to everybody. Because when we recognize the many ways that Black people have shown up in biblical stories, we are able to correct false narratives about these ancient stories and connect them to our current lived experiences of faith, spirituality, and culture. And also because people need to see themselves reflected back in scripture, especially when you've been told in one way or another that you have no significance. And it's not just about seeing our reflection. It's also about seeing ourselves as God sees us, 
with dignity and worth as precious, treasured masterpieces made by the master himself, whom he cares for and about, and as individuals with agency and autonomy over our own lives. As we honor the contributions of Black people in American history this month, let us remember too that we are a part of this sacred history for eternity. Happy Black History Month. Now, let's get into this word and let this word get into us. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through chapter 15, verse 18. God's word translation. God leads the people out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through Philistine territory, although that was the shortest route. God said, if they see that they have to fight a war, they may change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led the people around the other way, on the road, through the desert, toward the Red Sea. The Israelites were ready for battle when they left Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites solemnly swear to do this. Joseph had said, God will definitely come to help you. When he does, take my bones with you. They moved from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a column of smoke to lead them on their way. By night, he went ahead of them in a column of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. The column of smoke was always in front of the people during the day. The column of fire was always there at night. Pharaoh pursues Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to go back and set up their camp facing Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. Set up your camp facing north by the sea. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are just wandering around. The desert is blocking their escape. I will make Pharaoh so stubborn that he will pursue them. Then, because of what I do to Pharaoh and his entire army, I will receive honor, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So that is what the Israelites did. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was told that the people had fled, he and his officials changed their minds about them. They said, What have we done? We've lost our slaves because we've let Israel go. So Pharaoh prepared his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots, as well as all the other chariots in Egypt, placing an officer in each of them. The Lord made Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so stubborn that he pursued the Israelites who were boldly leaving Egypt. The Egyptians pursued the Israelites. Pharaoh's army, including all his horse-drawn chariots and cavalry, caught up with them as they were setting up their camp by the sea at Pi-Hahiroth, facing north. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw that the Egyptians were coming after them. Terrified, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Did you bring us out into the desert to die because there were no graves in Egypt? Look what you've done by bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we tell you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us go on serving the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
The Lord divides the Red Sea. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still and see what the Lord will do to save you today. You will never see these Egyptians again. The Lord is fighting for you, so be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to start moving. The messenger of God, who had been in front of the Israelites, moved behind them. So the column of smoke moved from in front of the Israelites and stood behind them, between the Egyptian camp and the Israelite camp. The column of smoke was there when darkness came, and it lit up the night. Neither side came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. All that night the Lord pushed back the sea with a strong east wind and turned the sea into dry ground. The water divided, and the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The water stood like a wall on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry followed them into the sea. Just before dawn, the Lord looked down from the column of fire and smoke and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they could hardly move. Then the Egyptians shouted, Let's get out of here. The Lord is fighting for Israel. He's against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water will flow back over the Egyptians, their chariots, and their cavalry. Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the water returned to its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered Pharaoh's entire army, as well as the chariots and the cavalry that had followed Israel into the sea. Not one of them survived. Meanwhile, the Israelites had gone through the sea on dry ground, while the water stood like a wall on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore. When the Israelites saw the great power the Lord had used against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. The Song of Moses Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. He has won a glorious victory. He has thrown horses and their riders into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He is my Savior. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will honor Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. He has thrown Pharaoh's chariots and army into the sea. Pharaoh's best officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The deep water covered them. They sank to the bottom like a rock. Your right hand, O Lord, wins glory because it is strong. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes your enemies. With your unlimited majesty, you destroyed those who attacked you. You sent out your burning anger. It burned them up like straw. With the blast from your nostrils, the water piled up. 
The wave stood up like a dam. The deep water thickened in the middle of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue them. I'll catch up with them. I'll divide the loot. I'll take all I want. I'll use my sword. I'll take all they have. Your breath blew the sea over them. They sank like lead in the raging water. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? You are glorious because of your holiness and awe-inspiring because of your splendor. You perform miracles. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Lovingly, you will lead the people you have saved. Powerfully, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. People will hear of it and tremble. The people of Philistia will be in anguish. The tribal leaders of Edom will be terrified. The powerful men of Moab will tremble. The people of Canaan will be deathly afraid. Terror and dread will fall on them. Because of the power of your arm, they will be petrified until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you purchased pass by. You will bring them and plant them on your own mountain, the place where you live, O Lord, the holy place that you built with your own hands, O Lord. The Lord will rule as king forever and ever. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46. Jesus' authority challenged. Then Jesus went into the temple courtyard and began to teach. The chief priests and the leaders of the people came to him. They asked, What gives you the right to do these things? Who told you that you could do this? Jesus answered them, I too have a question for you. If you answer it for me, I'll tell you why I have the right to do these things. Did John's right to baptize come from heaven or from humans? They discussed this among themselves. They said, if we say from heaven, he will ask us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from humans, we're afraid of what the crowd might do. All those people think of John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus told them, then I won't tell you why I have the right to do these things. A story about two sons. What do you think about this? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go to work in the vineyard today. His son replied, I don't want to. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the other son and told him the same thing. He replied, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two sons did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I can guarantee this truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going into God's kingdom ahead of you. John came to you and showed you the way that God wants you to live, but you didn't believe him. The tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. But even after you had seen that, you didn't change your minds and believe him. A story about a vineyard. Listen to another illustration. A landowner planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, made a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to vineyard workers and went on a trip. When the grapes were getting ripe, he sent his servants to the workers to collect his share of the produce. 
the workers took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned a third to death. So the landowner sent more servants, but the workers treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. He thought, they will respect my son. When the workers saw his son, they said to one another, this is the heir, let's kill him and get his inheritance. So they grabbed him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those workers? They answered, he will destroy those evil people. Then he will lease the vineyard to other workers who will give him his share of the produce when it is ready. Jesus asked them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord is responsible for this and it is amazing for us to see. That is why I can guarantee that God's kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce what God wants. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken. If the stone falls on anyone, it will crush that person. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his illustrations, they knew that he was talking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but were afraid of the crowds who thought he was a prophet. Psalm 26 by David Judge me favorably, O Lord, because I have walked with integrity and I have trusted you without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and test me. Look closely into my heart and mind. I see your mercy in front of me. I walk in the light of your truth. I did not sit with liars, and I will not be found among hypocrites. I have hated the mob of evildoers and will not sit with wicked people. I will wash my hands in innocence. I will walk around your altar, O Lord, so that I may loudly sing a hymn of thanksgiving and tell about all your miracles. O Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep away my soul along with hardened sinners or my life along with bloodthirsty people. Evil schemes are in their hands. Their right hands are full of bribes, but I walk with integrity. Rescue me and have pity on me. My feet stand on level ground. I will praise the Lord with the choirs in worship. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, even seven that are disgusting to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind devising wicked plans, feet that are quick to do wrong, a dishonest witness spitting out lies, and a person who spreads conflict among relatives. So in the Old Testament today, the Israelites are headed out of Egypt with all their goodies from the Egyptians. But God has the Israelites take a longer route toward their destination. The other way through Philistine territory would have been shorter, but the prospect of a war in a hostile region may have been too much and caused them to want to return to Egypt. As we will see, it does not take much for these people to start grumbling and complaining and romanticizing Egypt when things aren't going the way they think they should. 
But the fact that God took them the longer way to prevent them from running into unnecessary drama is a lesson in and of itself. Yes, this longer path will have its challenges too, but some challenges are more profitable for us than others. Some challenges are hard and uncomfortable, but they offer us strength and teach us to endure. Other challenges, the kind we often find ourselves in when we aren't listening to wisdom, are hard and uncomfortable, but rather than offer strength, they rob us of it, forcing us to withdraw from our well of resilience, depleting reserves that should only be used in case of emergencies. But back to the Egyptians, we saw today that when they found themselves trapped, or so they thought, between the Egyptian army and the sea in front of them, they were quick to complain and throw Egypt in Moses' face. When they saw those horses and chariots in hot pursuit, they panicked and started protesting to Moses. If you were going to bring us out here to the desert just to die, we could have stayed in Egypt. And they had some smart mouths too. Were there no graves in Egypt, Moses? The sarcasm. We told you to just leave us alone, but no, you had us come all the way out here and now look. Moses, who has clearly tapped into some godly faith, retorts, Would y'all be still and be quiet and watch God work? Don't be scared. The Lord is going to fight for you, and you will never see these Egyptians again. Then God steps in and says to Moses, What is all that racket about down there? Why are y'all crying out to me? Tell those Israelites to keep it moving, and then you stretch out your staff to divide the sea so they can just walk across. Next, the pillar or column that had been leading them, also known as the Shekinah glory from the Hebrew word dwell, moved from the front to the back and formed a barrier between the Israelites and the Egyptians. What was light for Israel was dark for Egypt. Israel's protection was Egypt's peril. The Lord literally had the Israelites back. All they had to do was be still. And here I see God as the parent who finds out that their kid is being bullied by someone who is much older and bigger. And then the parent steps in and says to their child, back up, close your mouth, I will handle this. And I am not advocating that parents fight bullies, but I do see God as protective father. These are his children. And a few chapters back, he referred to Israel as his son. He is stepping in and telling them to stand still. You don't need to do anything. I got this. So then we see him do what only God can do. When Moses stretches out his hand, the waters form two massive walls to the left and right of the children of Israel, allowing them to walk across on dry land. At the same time, he was confusing the Egyptians and hijacking their chariot wheels so they couldn't drive. They recognized that the Lord is with the Israelites and victory is imminent for them, but it's too late. Moses stretches his hand back out once the Israelites have all come across and the Egyptians are drowned in their own pride and arrogance as the Lord whips the wind and the waves, putting the sea back where it belongs before they, the Egyptians, can make it across. Not one of them survived, the Bible says. 
This passage is a powerful reminder of our need to seek and trust God and to wait on His timing and His way to get us through our challenges. God may lead us through difficult situations, but He provides deliverance and protection if we have faith and patience. And let's not take that for granted and watch our mouths too. Oh, and then there's this song, this song, this song of Moses. I never knew Moses was a songwriter either. I was even trying to put it to a tune because I wanted to sing it so badly, but it just does not have a structure I can follow. Otherwise, y'all was going to get this voice today. But it does indeed have a structure, just not one I can follow. Dr. H.C. Woodring outlines it this way. There's the prelude, which is the triumph of Jehovah, Then stanzas one through three detail what he is, what he has done, and what he will do, respectively. And then the postlude juxtaposes the defeat of Egypt with the deliverance of Israel. What a beautiful composition. Moses wrote a musical score to accompany their miracle. They were so happy they felt like singing. I see them dancing in the desert with such gaiety and joy. Tomorrow, we're going to see Miriam break out the tambourine. They were having what we like to call a hallelujah good time. It was truly a marvelous moment. Now, as far as the New Testament, let's talk about this incident in the temple when Jesus came in and knocked all their stuff over. God is not to be played with. There was corruption and extortion going on. He flipped them tables because he was not pleased. Let me explain what was happening because I've often heard this scripture used as a reason for why there should be no selling in churches, but a little more context might deconstruct that reasoning. So this is the temple in Jerusalem. It was crowded with merchants and money changers who were taking advantage of the people who had traveled from all around the world to worship God. The merchants sold animals for sacrifice at exorbitant prices. They were price gouging, only accepting the special temple coins, the shekels, as payment. Well, the money changers exchanged the various currencies for the temple coins, but they often deceived the foreigners who weren't familiar with the exchange rate, so they were charging them more than they should have been. This commercialism interfered with people's attempt to worship, which infuriated Jesus. He felt, righteously so, that any practice preventing someone from worshiping God should be put to an end. And so he ended it. Then the Pharisees tried to challenge him, asking him who gave him the authority to do such things. Jesus says, I'll tell you the answer, but you have to answer my question first. Who gave John the authority to baptize? They couldn't answer because they knew if they said it was by human authority, the crowd would get rowdy. If they said it was by God's authority, they'd have to answer for why they didn't believe in John. Realizing the trap they had laid for themselves, they ended up copping out saying they didn't know. And Jesus says, well, then I'm not telling you anything, but I have a story for you. And then he goes on to tell them two parables and they realize that he's talking about them and they are not happy. The Bible says they wanted to arrest him, but they didn't because they were afraid of what the people would do. And then backing up to Matthew chapter 20, there are these two blind men calling out to Jesus as he's leaving Jericho. The people are telling the men to be quiet and leave Jesus alone, 
But Jesus stops to answer them. He asks the blind man what they want. And they have a specific request. Lord, that our eyes will be opened. And then they received a specific response. Jesus had compassion for them. He touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight. Specificity in our prayers is important, particularly when we are petitioning God in our prayers. But even when we're not petitioning, that is asking for something, being as clear as possible is key. Prayer, after all, is communication. And the basis for cultivating intimacy and trust in any relationship is honesty, clarity, and transparency in what we say and what we ask. Being vague, speaking in generalities, being ambiguous won't get us very far. Well, actually, it will get us far, farther away from having our prayers answered. If we want to deepen and strengthen the bond we have with the lover and keeper of our souls, if we want to get closer to him, we must get granular in our prayer life. God wants our vulnerability, our openness. And another benefit is that when we articulate our hopes, our needs, and desires explicitly, it helps us to understand ourselves better and to be conscious of our intentions and motivations, what we really want and need, and why. And that understanding helps us stay true to ourselves, helps us to stay honest with ourselves. So praying with specificity and clarity is essential for us to develop a meaningful and rewarding relationship with God. Pray with precision. And with that, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your help in our times of need, for your guidance during seasons of uncertainty, and the comfort you provide in the midst of our struggles. We come to you today asking you to grant us the clarity and courage necessary to articulate our thoughts and feelings, to elaborate on our requests, and to communicate with each other honestly, openly, and with love. We also ask that you would help us to stay mindful of our intentions, that we may understand our own motivations and strive to stay honest. Help us to cultivate a deeper trust in you and to use our prayer time to get closer to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation. I will pray with clarity, precision, and intention, and I am emboldened by the power of my prayer life. I will pray with clarity, precision, and intention, and I am emboldened by the power of my prayer life. And our aphorism, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. That's all I have for you today. Thank you again for joining me on the journey. Happy Black History Month one more time. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow. I hope you will be too.